Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, like Pastor John said, my name is Zachary. I'm over at our youth ministries here. I'm sort of the adult kid on staff. And, um, and it has been my express privilege to get to serve here, get to serve Jesus here in this community. I've seen so many of you choose to follow Jesus. I've seen so many of our students um, start a relationship with him and not just um, a, an emotional relationship, but something where they follow each and every day after Jesus. They open their Bibles and they're seeking to impact their community. And so over the past five years, that has been so great to be able to do. Um, I even love that uh, some of our alumni from NextGen have come back and served as, are serving as leaders there too. Um, so thank you for being here. I do want to take a moment to welcome you. If it is your first time here, um, I just thank you so much for being here. I remember my first time at church and it, 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 I was a little nervous. Um, so I want to thank you for being here. You could literally be at home watching Netflix right now, but instead I, you're here. And so I want to thank you for that. Um, big shout out to everybody at our Wheatfield campus and then big hey, hello to everybody um, at our Hebron campus as well. So excited to share or to celebrate one year of ministry with you guys next week. And that is just awesome. Woo! And then uh, hey to our jail campus as well as everyone who's viewing with us online live right now or through our sermon archives. Um, if you are joining live with us, uh, would you just take a moment, put in the comments where you're viewing with us from, even if it's your couch in Wheatfield, um, we love to celebrate that. And uh, we're in this sermon series called Beating Burnout. And basically what I get to do is I get to be the series finale or the season finale. Um, I get to be the one that comes up and puts your food in a to-go box and sends you home and says, okay, uh, continue to beat burnout in your life. And I love this sermon series so much. It has been so applicable to each and every one of our lives. And I feel like that is one of the reasons that I love the sermons here. They're so applicable, but also they're based on the Bible. They are biblically true. And they're not teaching us just to read the Bible, but they're teaching us to live, the, live out the words of God every day in our lives. We're not just learning how to read it, but we're learning how to live it, be part of the Great Commission. And I don't know how much theologically deeper you can get than that. And if you are visiting us, we always say it, but we truly mean it. No one is perfect and everyone is welcome. And uh, that's not just something we say, it's something that we live. At First Church, we are a bunch of people from a bunch of different backgrounds and experiences, but we come together on Sundays because we love Jesus so much and we want to see others love him as well. Over the past few weeks in this sermon series, Pastor John has been looking specifically at how you and I can beat burnout. And we've been looking largely at one of the most well-known prophets in the Bible. His name is Elijah. And we've been looking at his personal experience with burnout and how, you know, God beat it through him. Um, just so you know, the definition of burnout is a state of emotional, mental, and physical exhaustion caused by excessive and prolonged stress. Today, instead of looking at Elijah, what I want to do is I want to look at the same portion of the Bible that we've been expositing over the past few weeks, and I want to uh, focus in on 1 Kings 18, and then I want to actually look at a group of people who became burned out, not only mentally and physically, but they also became spiritually burned out, and it affected their entire community. It, uh, it affected generation after generation of their children. The people that were burned out were the Israelites in our account. And the result of their burnout was that future generations were not devoted to God. Their lives were unfulfilled and literally their whole nation, the northern, the northern nation of Israel was destroyed. So I wanna look at them. I want to see what caused their burnout 
And I wanna bring, bring some truths out of it so that you and I can beat burnout together. Just so you know, the structure of this message, I'm gonna start off with some scripture. I'm gonna bring in a personal story of my life that's gonna help the scripture to come alive to each and every one of us right here and now. I'm gonna go and I'm gonna have three points to this message. And then I'm going to have a practical application for each and every one of us at the end of this message. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 Kings 18. We'll be camped out there today. Um, if you don't have your Bibles, that is totally okay. We will always have the words on the screen for you to go along with. And just to give you a little bit of backstory, um, there is this prophet named Elijah who has come to the king of the northern kingdom of Israel. His name is Ahab. And he said, you have turned from God. You, you have turned to this God, a false god of Baal and you are worshiping him instead. What happened was Ahab married this woman named Jezebel. And she was a Canaanite who made it her mission to bring the worship of uh, Canaanite gods, Baal and Asherah, into the Israelite community. And while this is obviously, while the obvious thing, the obviously bad thing is there, right? You shall not worship any other gods other than God himself. What is the reason that God tells us that is because when we worship other gods, we are not fully uh, we are not fully satisfied. We have a life that is broken. Not only is God worthy of our uh, of our attention and of our devotion and our worship, but the reason that He tells us to not worship any other gods is because it does not lead to higher levels of life satisfaction. It really leads towards our destruction. And the worship of the Canaanite uh, god Baal it entailed a lot of horrible things like ritual rape, like the enslavement of children. And that's why God says that we should fully serve him. So Elijah looks at them and he says, hey, I need you to turn back to God or guess what? There's not gonna be any rain among your land. And uh, what happens is they're like, oh, whatever, we're not listening to you. Elijah goes away. And then after three years, there's no rain. There's not a drop of water in their land. And so Elijah actually has them, has their attention now. He sets up this meeting with this man named Obadiah. Um, and Obadiah says, hey, I'm gonna have the king come and meet you. So the king Ahab comes and meets with Elijah. And that's where our story picks up in 1 Kings 18. It says, so Obadiah went to tell Ahab that Elijah had come and Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, so it is really you, you troublemaker of Israel. And Elijah went, nah, fam, nah, that's not the truth. He said, I have made no trouble for Israel. It is you and your family. You are the troublemakers for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshiped the images of Baal instead. Elijah says, now summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel along with 450 prophets of Baal and the 400 prophets of Asherah who were supported by Jezebel. So Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and all the prophets to Mount Carmel. Elijah has their attention now, and everyone comes to Mount Carmel. It says, then Elijah stood in front of them, and he said, how much longer will you waver, hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your life and for your love. And I just thank you for the gift of today that you have given us. Um, Holy Spirit, right now, I pray you would open our eyes to see your goodness. I pray you would open our ears to hear your truth. And I pray, Jesus, that you would open our hearts to receive the message that you have for us today so that each of us can grow one step closer to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said. Amen. So we've just heard about the Israelites, of their dilemma, how they are stuck on the fence. And to bring this story to life, I'm, I want to share a personal story with you guys. And just a little bit of backstory. Uh, some of you know that I didn't really have the most picturesque, you know, childhood. I, it wouldn't be a Hallmark movie unless it was like, you know, one of those really sad Hallmark movies that you were just like crying the whole time. And you're like, oh my gosh, what is happening? I was a child of addicts. Both of my parents were addicted to alcohol and drugs. I was physically abused as a kid. Uh, my mother died of a drug overdose when I was 12 years old. 
But the thing that really shaped me was being a product of divorce and a broken family. And when I'm saying this, I'm not just talking about one divorce. I'm not even talking about three or four, but I'm talking about five divorces altogether. My mother was married and divorced five times. And I just want you to think about that for a second, right? That is five marriages. That is a full hand. She had been married five times by the time I was 10, okay? So on an average, I was walking my mom down the aisle every two years. I was marrying my mom off more frequently than we see the Olympics, more frequently than February 29th comes around with leap year, right? I was, she was going through husbands more quickly than we go through presidents. Or I would see George, I had more of an attachment towards Bill Clinton and George Bush than any of the husbands that my mom ever married. And a lot of you were like, wow, politics are wishy-washy. You can laugh at it, it's okay. I've dealt with it all. Uh, but it almost was more common for me to walk my mom down the aisle than for me to have Christmas or my birthday. I mean, can you imagine that? Going to four out of your five mom's weddings? Like, come on, who knows a woman has been married five times? I'm pretty sure I'm the only one. And some of you are like, Zachary, you are so dramatic. But I'm like, I got a little bit of a reason to be the way that I am. So uh, the thing that embarrassed me most, though, was not my mother's addiction to drugs. It wasn't the fact that by the age of seven, I knew how to crush oxycotton into a, uh, and put it into a spoon so that she could cook took it over a lighter and injected it into her veins, telling me that it helped her, telling her that she, telling me that she needed it, even though I saw it hurting her, even though it, that wasn't the most embarrassing thing for me. The embarrassing thing for me was having to walk my mom down the aisle year after year and give her away to men that I knew were no good for her, who were physically abusive to my sister and I, knowing that it wasn't gonna work out. But for the umpteenth time, here I was dressed up in you know, some hand-me-down suit, unable to protect the woman that I love most in the world. So I really felt the brokenness and the fullness of divorce over and over and over again as a child, not just the divorce of my mother and father, which happened twice, but with all of the others. And it caused some trauma in my life, some, some scars on my heart that I didn't really notice for the longest time. But, you know, uh, being a child of trauma, you're, you're really able to like push down those feelings and be like, I'm gonna move on, you know? Let, let's go watch another, a, a nice Hallmark movie instead of this one. Uh, but the thing was, fast forward 27 years, I met the woman of my dreams. Her name was, is Blair, not was. And after thoroughly vetting her, I found out not only did she say she was a Christian, but she lived it out every day in her life. She was a passionate follower of Jesus and she, and she lived it out daily. So I asked her to start dating, but you know, Christians, we can't use the normal words. So I actually said, um, hi, Blair, can I start pursuing you, please? You know, we have to use our own vernacular. And she said, heck yes. I, apparently she'd had the hots for me for a while, you know? And our dating was great. I, I, don't, I don't blame her, right? Um, we fell in love. Both of us, we made the decision to, uh, to not kiss before we got married, to honor God in that. And we want to honor God in our relationship. And to be honest, Blair is not only gorgeous, but she's beautiful on the inside as well. She has a passion for ministry and for reaching people. She's everything that a guy could want. And she was the answer to so many of my prayers. And I knew one day that she was gonna make a wonderful pastor's wife. And after a while, we really started talking about marriage. We started talking about what it was gonna look like. And that's when the trauma of my childhood started to resurface. That's when I started to really push the brakes a bit. There's really no reason that I could see not to be with her, but I just couldn't decide. Much like the Israelites, I, I just couldn't get off the fence and I didn't have an answer. I was 27 years old. I had had a great life. Uh, I make friends easily. I, I enjoyed being single as well. You know, if that's what Jesus had for me, I was ready for it. But the idea of letting someone into my life, that's where the trauma of my childhood started to resurface. I had seen marriages fail. I had experienced the hurt from it. 
I'd seen my mom cry and turn to drugs. I'd been abused by the men that she had married, and I'd seen my mother with black eyes being beaten by the men that she married. I'd seen the nightmares, and I I thought so many times, am I too messed up for this? Am I too jacked up? I mean, I look at Blair's family, and they are amazing. Russ and Wendy, they, they love each other so well. Their, their marriage is so great. I, I, her family is so functional, right? Ben, uh, her brother, is, is like a brother to me now. And not to mention the fact that she's part of the Dutch mafia. So, yeah, if I messed it up, they were going to come for me. I knew it. I had seen the worst of marriage, and as a result, I wanted to make sure that Blair and I weren't only in love, but we had a uh, relationship that would stand the test of time. I remember one time in particular, Blair looked at me with tears in her eyes and she said, will you choose me? She asked me why we aren't engaged, why we weren't getting married. And the thing was, I couldn't choose her just like the Israelites in this account. She was wanting me to choose her, but I just couldn't. What if I messed it all up? What if my trauma ruined our marriage and hurt my best friend? For a long time, I was stuck on the fence. Have you ever been there in your life? You're sitting there and you see this thing in front of you and it is the answer to your prayers. It's been what you've been waiting for for so long, but you can't change. You, you, can't, you can't decide. You're stuck on the fence. I was there. I was so stuck. And I think that's how the Israelites were. They were on the fence between God and Baal, between the false God, Baal, and the true God, Yahweh. I had moments where I said, heck yeah, I wanna marry Blair. But then the next morning I would wake up and I would be so unsure again. And I think that's why some of us are so burned out. I would stay up night after night after night, waffling between the two, wondering and stressing out night after night. We would go on an amazing date or I would see her discipling somebody and leading somebody to Jesus. And I'd be like, I'm ready to marry you right now. Get Pastor John, come on, let's go. But then the next morning I'd wake up and and the images of all those failed marriages would resurface. I would just waffle and go back and forth. I was stuck on the fence and it burned me out so much. It affected so many areas of my life. It affected my work. It affected my friendships. It affected Blair and my relationship. I was so burned out. And it was because I couldn't make a decision. Because you and I, we were not made to stand still. What do you do when you can't make a decision? For me, I shut down and I run the other way. So for a long time, I stayed on the fence. I was not single. I wasn't married. We were just in this middle part of our relationship. What is it for you? Where are you stuck on the fence? Because I feel like what Elijah is telling the Israelites is, hey, don't get stuck on the fence. For a while we were there stuck on the fence. I was content with it. It didn't cost me anything. It was comfortable. It was a safe space. I didn't have to commit, didn't have to give anything up. That's how the Israelites were in our account, just stuck on the fence in between the false God, Baal, and the true God, Yahweh, in between a false God who said things that they wanted to hear, who let them follow after things that they wanted to follow, fulfill their fleshly desires. In a way, the false God, Baal, allowed them to be the God of their life. In between that and the true God, Yahweh, the true God who had set them free from Egypt's rule, a God who had liberated them, shown them miraculous signs, provided for them a God that was living but also had standards for their lives in order to protect them. And they were stuck on the fence. That's why Elijah looks at these people and he says, how much longer are you gonna waver? How much longer are you gonna be on the fence hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, then follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. He looks at them and he says, hey, you've got to choose one or the other. Now, why do I say all this? Because one of the biggest reasons that we burn out, one of the biggest things that burns us out 
is being stuck on the fence. The biggest thing that taxes us emotionally, mentally, physically, spiritually is being in the middle of right or wrong, hobbling between two things. I was getting burned out in my life because I was just coasting on the fence of marriage and Blair looked at me with tears in her eyes one time and she said, "Why? what are we doing? We can't stay on the fence for forever. For you, the fence might be between right or wrong. It might be between your friend's expectations of you and God's expectations of you. It might be between your family and God's family or between your old life and the new life that Christ has for you. Or you might be stuck in the middle between unbelief and truly believing in Jesus. And it's no wonder you are burned out. You're living multiple lives. You're having to partition off entire areas of your personality. You're having to hide parts of you everywhere that you go, just like the Israelites who would wake up and say, oh yeah, I am God's child. I serve Yahweh, but then would do horrible things in the name of Baal. And they were so burned out in their life, so unfulfilled, so unsatisfied, seeking after the world to fulfill them, to make them happy, all because spiritually they were stuck on the fence. And I always feel like it's so easy for us to look at the Israelites and be like, wow, they're messed up. Oh my, how are they, how could they do that? But what I've learned to do is turn the mirror back on myself and say, Zachary, how are you like the Israelites? How are you stuck on the fence, hobbling between two things? I wanna ask you that question. How are you like that? How are you stuck on the fence today? How are you hobbling between two things? How are you living multiple lives in between school and work or uh, work and your home? And here's the thing that I really want you to walk away with today. You can survive on the fence, but you can't thrive on the fence. You can live there. You, You can have a life on the fence, but it is not going to be the full satisfying life that Jesus desires for you. In another translation of our account, it says this, how much longer are you gonna sit on the fence? refusing to make a decision between the Lord and Baal. If you believe the eternal one is the true God, then devote yourselves entirely to him. If you believe that Baal is your master, devote yourselves entirely to him. All the people who were gathered there atop Mount Carmel, they were completely silent. They didn't know what to say to this. They didn't know what to say because they were stuck on the fence and they were silent. Baal, the enemy, the world doesn't care if you are stuck on the fence, but God does and God did. So how do we get unstuck? I wanna answer that question with you guys today. How do we get off the fence? Number one, we look at the facts. For me in my life, I looked at the choices of my mother and my father. I saw how their selfish decisions eroded their relationship, how their addictions to drug and alcohol and sex destroyed their relationships. And I saw how their marriage wasn't built on Jesus, but it was built on each other. And the thing is, when you look for someone to fulfill you in this world, you're gonna be unsatisfied because we were created to only be truly fulfilled by Jesus. Their relationship was built on each other. And there came a point where I had to look at the facts and, and remind myself, hey, Zachary, you are not crushing up oxys, putting them in a spoon and injecting them into your veins. Like that, you are not addicted to drugs. That was a huge part of my mom's failed marriages. And I had to look at the facts and say, hey, that's not who I am. But most importantly, I have Jesus in my life. I have him as the foundation of my life and he is for me. How do we get unstuck? How do you get off the fence? You look at the facts. For the Israelites, they had to look at the facts as well. They were stuck on the fence in between, un, in between unbelief and belief, in between, a true, uh, in between progressive Christianity and true historical Christianity. And the facts were that God had been faithful. He had delivered them from Egypt. He had led them by a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. He had given them bread from heaven, water from a rock. He had given them Jericho and he had provided for them time after time again. And the facts were they had turned from him. 
Not only that, but Elijah provided so much truth for them in our next section of scripture. And Elijah looks at them and he says, hey, I want you to get two bulls up here, put them on either sides of this mountain. And what we're gonna do is you can, you can pray to your God and I'm gonna pray to my God and we're gonna see which God can truly light the fire of this bull. And we're gonna settle this once and for all. In verse 25, it says, Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, hey, you go first. There are so many of you. Woo. Wow, choose one of the bulls, prepare it, call on the name of whatever your God is, uh, but don't set fire to the wood. And then they prepared one of the bulls and placed it on the altar. They called on the name of Baal from morning until noontime, a really long time shouting, Baal, please answer us. But there was no reply of any kind. Then they danced hobbling around the altar they had made. In this moment, I sort of see like this meme, you know, where they're just dancing awkwardly. There's no music and it's like, womp, womp, nothing happens. And they are just wasting their breath. And um, Elijah and I are both, we're a little similar, right? We, we're both a little dramatic, I, I've, I've admitted that. Um, but also he is really savage and I have a really savage side as well. And Elijah starts making fun of them. Elijah starts making fun of their false God as well. And he, he starts roasting them over their inability to roast this bull. And he says, about noontime, Elijah began mocking them. Hey, you're gonna have to shout louder <laughs> for surely he's a God, right? Perhaps your God is daydreaming. Maybe he's relieving himself. Possibly he's on the toilet taking a dump, right? Um, it, it, that's a poop joke there. Um, or maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. He's making fun of them. And the thing is, next is Elijah's move. He builds an altar and he says, hey, I want you to fill these things up with water and I want you to come pour it over my bowl. Okay, pour it over it. And they do it so many times. He's like, do it again, do it again. There at the end, there is this trench around this bowl and it is filled with water. And then Elijah, he looks up. And he prays the simple prayer. He doesn't start hobbling around. He doesn't start screaming out. He says the simple prayer. The usual time for the offering, the evening sacrifice, Elijah, the prophet, he walked up to the altar and he prayed, oh Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, will you prove today that you are the God in Israel and that I am your servant? Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh Lord, please answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you, oh Lord, are God. So that these people will see the facts in front of them they will see that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. God answers the prayer and, um, and shows the Israelites these facts. He says, immediately the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven. It burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust. It even licks up all the water in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell face down on the ground and they cried out to the Lord. The Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. How do you get off the fence, number one? We need to look at the facts. The Israelites saw it all before them. They saw God and how he had literally burned the bull, how the water had been evaporated. They saw his might and power and they saw all the facts that pointed towards God. We can look at the facts around us today. We know that something does not come from nothing. We know that intelligent design doesn't come from no intelligence. We also know that statistically, those who follow the precepts of Christianity, the precepts of God, and are connected to a vital growing Christian community have higher rates of life satisfaction than anyone else. I don't need to show, I don't need to tell you the pain that was caused me by my parents and their choices as they chose a life of fleshly desires and addiction, much like the Baal worshipers. But today, look at the facts. See the fence that you are on, the two sides before you, and refuse to be gray. How do we get off the fence? Number one, we look at the facts before us. Number two, we have to make a decision. I love how Elijah, he says this. He looks at them, and after, uh, before all this, he says, how much longer are you gonna sit on the fence? Are you gonna 
to refuse to make a decision between the Lord and Baal. How much longer are you going to refuse to make a decision? You got to make a decision, boss. If you believe the eternal one is true God, devote yourself entirely to him. But if Baal is God, then go that way. I know Elijah wanted them to pick God and fully devote their lives to him. I, but more so than that, Elijah saw the detriment being done to them, being caused to them by their inability to choose, by their quiescence and okayness with being on the fence, their contentment with being in the middle. And he looks at them and he says, make a decision because you're hobbling between two items. You're being on the fence. It is burning you out for me. I had to come to, I had to pick a side. I had to make a decision. Because I couldn't stay in the middleness of I couldn't stay in the middle of singleness and marriage. I had to pick, make a decision. And one time, Blair and I, we came home after a wedding. I had officiated. She had seen me, you know, do the vows to these people, and and she looked at me with tears in her eyes, and she said, "Are we ever going to be married?" She was crying. She'd already picked her side. She was ready to be married, but I was still stuck on the fence, comfortable and content with not picking a side, thinking that it protected me from hurting her, but not realizing that my quiescence was hurting her not realizing that my inability to choose was burning me out and was burning Blair. I then made the decision and I, I said, okay, I'm gonna make a decision, I, I'm, I'm in. And I went on my phone, I, I went to Etsy, I looked for the perfect ring that would be like the meld between both of us. I found this ring, it's a salt and pepper diamond, it's black, because black's my favorite color. Uh, gold, we both like gold, and then it has these little leaves because Blair's all nature-y and loves, loves leaves, I don't know. Um, but I found this ring and I was like, that's it. This is, I'm making a decision. Where do you need to make a decision in your life? How has being stuck on the fence actually been lending to your burnout? How has it been burning out your faith and been burning others? Maybe you are stuck in between the past or the future. Maybe you're stuck in between singleness or marriage or your old friends or your life group. This is a big one, but maybe you're stuck in between just scrolling and zoning out or actually dialing in and reading your Bible. Maybe you're stuck in between ghosting or relationship, or maybe you are stuck between fake or faith. What I really think it comes down to is so many of us are stuck on the fence in between the world or God, in between Baal or God, in between our own desires and the desires that God has for us. I don't know exactly what it is that you might be stuck in the middle in between. And you may even be sitting there thinking like, oh, Zachary, you know what? I am okay and I am comfortable with being in the middle, but I want you to remember that you can survive on the fence, but you cannot thrive on the fence. You've got to make a decision. You have to choose between one or the other because your inability to choose, that is burning you out. For the Israelites, it was Baal or it was God. And Elijah looks at them and he says, make a decision. He says, hey, in order to get off the fence, you've got to make a decision, Israelites. How do we get off the fence? Number one, we look at the facts. Number two, we make a decision. And then number three, we commit. There came a moment in my life and in my relationship that after looking at the facts, after making a decision, I had to choose to commit. And that was hard for me. I, I hobbled between the two. I was on the fence for so long. There would be days where I would wake up and I'd be like, yeah, I'm ready to marry Blair. But then the next morning I would wake up and would go straight back to the fence. I told you about that ring. We all looked at it and we're like, oh my gosh, it's beautiful. It has leaves on there. What I didn't tell you is that I probably went on my phone and went to Etsy and added it to my cart 20 plus times with my finger hovering over the buy button, but I could never commit. I had made that decision, but I didn't commit. I chose to get off the fence, however. I looked at how I was different than my parents and I made the decision that I wanted to marry Blair and have a life and a ministry with her. And after making the decision, I committed. I bought that ring from the, some shop in the UK. It came over here 
And I made that decision. And after 11 months of dating, I dropped down on one knee and I said, hey, Blair, will you marry me on Bombs Bridge where, um, you know, we talked and I actually found out that she was a Christian for the first time ever. And then a few months later, we got married right here on this stage. That's a picture after our first kiss ever. Um, and it's been amazing. We just celebrated two years of marriage. Um, we've been able to um, have four foster children come into our home and show them the love of Jesus. It's been amazing, but I had to choose and I had to commit. I had to get off the fence. To get off the fence, you've got to commit. And, and I mean really commit. Turn from your old way of life entirely and devote yourself to the new way of life. And I think that's where the Israelites got it all wrong. They made the decision, but they didn't commit. Day after day after day. For me, committing wasn't just the day that we stood up here and I said those things to Blair. It's been every day since when I wake up, I choose to, uh, I choose to marry her. And when I wake up, I choose to pursue her. I choose to love her just like Jesus loves me. I lay down my life for her, like Jesus laid down his life for the church and settled conflict because I realized that that was one of the things that I turned from so much. But with Jesus, as I am choosing and committing every day, I wanna settle conflict with my wife and choose her daily because I committed. I committed and I decided for life, right? I, I, was, I decided to get off the fence and now I'm committed to making this work. Instead of quitting and running away, just like my mother did when things would get hard or maybe the in-love feelings weren't there, I choose to love my wife because love isn't a, fe a feeling. It's a decision each and every day. Not just, to, I choose to not just sit on my phone, scroll and zone out. I don't just sit there and uh, zone out or disassociate, but I choose my wife above everything else besides Jesus. And I think that's a problem for so many of us. One day you stood up here and you made the decision and, and then you even committed, you, you did the profession of faith. You did, you prayed the prayer, you got baptized, you, prayed, uh, you were on the sandbar at movement camp. But since then, you've just started scrolling. You started disassociating. You're sitting in service and you come to church, but you aren't engaged. You may even be listening to the sermon, but you, you aren't hearing it. And you're zoning out right now. You're so burned out, you are so tired, but you aren't willing to change because you're comfortable with being burned out. You're comfortable with blaming it on others when it's your decision. You don't get up daily. You don't spend your time reading your Bible. You don't pray like you used to. You've pulled back and you blame it on burnout when your spiritual ambivalence is the reason that you are feeling so burned out. And the problem, the real problem is, is you've gone back to your old ways just like the Israelites did. You can see it in so many of the later prophets' letters as they look to the Israelites and they echo Elijah's words when he said, how much longer are you gonna sit on the fence refusing to make a decision between the Lord and Baal? Elijah here, he's saying commit. He's saying make a decision and then devote everything that you have to it and make it work. Stop making excuses and fix it. This is where the Israelites got it all wrong. They saw the facts before them. They saw God's might and power. They made the decision, but then they didn't truly commit. They went home and instead of clearing out the images of Baal and Asherah, they went back to their old ways. Instead of truly changing their lives, instead of saying, hey, to my, their old friends saying, hey, I'm not, I'm not about that anymore. I am a new creation in Jesus and I'm gonna pursue him every day. They went back to their old ways of partying and their old ways of life. And they zoned out. They didn't truly commit to get off the fence. You and I, we have to commit. You have to commit and choose God over the world. And the Israelites they fell back to their Baal-worshiping ways. They didn't turn from their sin or their ways. They continued on being content with being burned out instead of thinking what it would truly, thinking about what it would trust, it cost them to truly commit instead of being on fire for God. They were content with serving a false God who couldn't light the fire instead of turning to the one who had lit the fire on flame. 
the way you and I get unstuck, the way that you and I get off the fence and beat burnout. So we stop thinking about what we're gonna lose if we commit, but we think about what we have to gain. What I'm really trying to say in all of this is commit to God. Commit to him and his ways, commit to him and his plans. Get off the fence and commit for the long haul. Are you going to follow Jesus or not? As for so many of us, we're stuck in between the lake and Jesus. We're stuck in between sports and Jesus. We're stuck between our family and Jesus. Get off the fence. I committed the day that I married Blair, but I get up every day and commit to her as well. Don't just get married and disassociate. To wrap this all up, I wanna bring our, I wanna bring our attention and our focus back to the words of Jesus. And one of the things that I love about the Bible is not just the way that it has changed lives for thousands of years, but I love how even 2,000 years after Jesus spoke this, his words still echo true. They are still relevant for us today. In John 10, 10, after Jesus talks about spiritual blindness and how he's the good shepherd, he looks at the people and he gives them the two sides of the dilemma today. He says the thief's purpose is to steal, to kill, and destroy my purpose is to give you a rich and satisfying life. Baal's purpose, he wants to steal, he wants to kill, he wants to destroy, but Jesus wants to give you a rich and satisfying life. Jesus here says, choose one or the other. Look at the facts, make a decision and commit. You're afraid of what it's gonna cost you, but here's what you have to gain from it by turning to Jesus. Not only do you escape the snares of death and destruction, but by truly repenting, truly committing, refusing to stay on the fence, refusing to coast on the faith of others not just zoning out, you gain a life, a rich and satisfying life. You gain a life of burning instead of burn out. You gain a life on fire instead of coal. But you have to choose, you have to commit. It's not gonna be easy, but guys, it is worth it following Jesus. And today I wanna call you, I wanna call you to commit, to make a decision because that's how we beat burnout. We get off the fence. We look at the facts around us. We make that decision and then we commit. Today, I have some discussion questions for you that I would love for you to just go over um, with those in your cars, you're driving home, those on your couch, or you know, uh, those in your life group. And the thing is, I, uh, these questions, I believe, are gonna help us to see the two areas before us. I know that you're gonna choose to honor God. I know that uh, this is not just gonna be another Sunday message that you are sitting here and is gonna go in one ear and out the other. I know that you're gonna choose to honor God in this and that you're gonna commit to him. So my first question is what are the two areas you are stuck in between? You're stuck on the fence between choosing to honor God and to not honor God. Number two, what are the facts about this situation? What are the facts about it? Maybe it is your marriage. Maybe it is your finances. Maybe it is your kids or your job or your sexuality. But what are the facts about it? Because I know when I look at the facts, I see the truth behind it. I choose to follow God because I realize that it leads to higher levels of life satisfaction. I know that you're gonna honor God. Every time that I look at the facts, it leads me to honoring him. Number three, looking at these facts, what's your decision? What's the decision? Are you gonna choose to get off the fence? Which side are you gonna go to? Then the last one, are you ready to commit? Are you ready to do it today? If you're somebody in this room who has been hearing this message and you're like, Zachary, I've been on the fence in between belief and unbelief. I just don't know how to do it. I don't know how to truly commit to Jesus. One of the best things for me was having people come alongside me and walk with me and say, this is how you truly follow him every day. This is, uh, this is how you live a Christian life, not just on Sundays, but Monday through Saturdays. We wanna come alongside and walk with you. If you are wanting to commit to Jesus, if you're wanting to get off the fence, I would love for you to text I'm in 
all one word, to 474747. Our staff would love to connect with you. We would love to walk with you. We would love to talk with you and help you not to just make a decision, but commit to Jesus each and every day to truly learn what it means to be a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. I love you guys so much. Will you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you for your life. We thank you for your love. We thank you for who you are and for what you have done. Jesus, I just pray that in this, we would truly learn what it means to get off the fence. We wouldn't be stuck in the middle, but we would choose you. We would choose you each and every day. Jesus, you are so loving and we know that no one comes to the Father except that they are led by the Holy Spirit. So Holy Spirit, I pray that you would continue to lead us, you would continue to guide us and you would continue to pull us into a deeper relationship of you, with you and a deeper understanding of your love. We love you, Jesus, and we thank you for what you're doing here. We pray that you would continue to do even more tonight at Trunk or Treat and um, each and every day as we live our lives for you. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thanks you so much, you guys. Uh, will you go ahead and check out this video?